Alright folks, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis 27. We're going to cover almost a whole chapter of the Bible today. We're continuing in our series in Jacob, uh, basically looking at the, the life, the biography of the Old Testament patriarch Jacob. And perhaps you have noticed this by now. Jacob is an Old Testament character, but he's very contemporary in terms of um, how we receive him. I think he is easier to, to grasp. He's easier to connect to, perhaps even more so than some of the other patriarchs or, or biblical characters. Think of Abraham, the man of faith. Sometimes we think, well, I could never attain the faith that Abraham had. We think of David, and even though David had a, you know, a, an, an end of life lapse where he slept with Bathsheba and that sort of unended, up, upended his life. Um, in the end, God still calls him a man after his own heart. So sometimes we can't relate to that. And then, of course, in the New Testament, you get you got the Apostle Paul, I mean, a man who wrote half the Bible, and who, I mean, with every Bible verse we're quoting, we're saying, well, Paul said this. So sometimes we can't relate to Bible characters. But here's the deal with, with Jacob. Jacob is, a, is accessible. He seems human. He has doubts. He... Uh, he has difficult relationships that he's working through. He says the wrong thing. He does the wrong thing. In, in, a sh in short, I mean, Jacob messes up. And I'm kind of like, Jacob is like us. So it makes him more um, understandable as a Bible character. So we're going to appear more into his life. I'm going to do a little bit something different today. Um, I'm going to read a lot of verses. And so instead of you all reading along with me, in fact, they're not even going to be on the PowerPoint, you're going to have to break open your Bible, all right? I'm going to read the first 40 uh, verses of chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, there's some down the center row of seats. You're welcome to get that. Genesis is the very first few pages of your Bible. So I welcome you to read in your Bible or your app the first few verses, actually the first 40 verses of chapter 27. Let me read. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the, uh, before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Verse 11, But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feed me, and I, shall, uh, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, 
and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Verse 16, verse 18. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless, may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because, your, uh, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that, it might, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, all of it, from beginning to end. Thank you for the revelation of yourself. Thank you for characters like Jacob, from which uh, we understand how your grace works in our lives and in your world. But more importantly, thank you for the grace that comes to us through Jesus, the God-man who came to earth, who dressed up uh, in clothes that weren't his own, ultimately to die on a cross that he didn't deserve for our sin in our place that we might receive the grace of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so long story, a lot of words. Hopefully you got a little bit of that, but here, here's what's going on. As we begin chapter 27, Isaac is, is old. He doesn't actually know when he's going to die, but he senses that the end of his death is near, and he calls to his oldest son, well, he calls to one of his sons, Esau, and he tells him, I want to bless you, and so go do the thing that I love the most. What's the thing that Isaac loves the most? One of the things that text is bringing out to us is the sensual nature uh, of Isaac in his latter years. Uh, we can discern from chapters 25 and even 26 that Isaac knew the Lord, that he was a man that, um, that had embraced the promise of Abraham being passed through him and then on to his sons and to his kindred. But in this instance, it seems that Isaac has decided that he's going to take things into his own hand and do what he wants to do in regards to passing on that blessing to one of his sons. 
And so he tells Esau, his favorite son, hey, guess what? I, I want to satisfy myself. I really love that you hunt. I really love the game that you, uh, that you are able to, to hunt and to prepare. Go hunt some and fix it for me. Fix it the way I like it. And before I die, I'm going to bless you. What do we see that's going on? Well, Isaac, knowing the promise of God, Isaac, knowing the oracle of God given to Rebekah that the older shall serve the younger, is dismissing that oracle and deciding that he's going to do what he wants to do and do it his way. Rebekah overhears Isaac. I guess when you have a house made of house made like a tent, that the tent walls are kind of thin. So she overhears and the text doesn't tell us this, but I can just imagine that she's kind of like upset, perturbed. She's probably firstly upset that Isaac would dismiss the prophecy or the oracle of God saying that the, you know, the, the older would serve the younger, that Jacob is the one that's supposed to be getting this blessing. But she's also probably a little perturbed that Isaac would choose his favorite son, Esau, over her favorite son, Jacob. And so what does she do? Not to be outdone, Rebecca comes up with a plan. What's the plan? Rebecca knows the will of God, and she is dead set that the will of God is not going to be overthrown by her husband who wants to do what he wants to do in regards to his sons. And so she calls to her, her favorite son, Jacob. She says, all right, Jacob, guess what? I'm going to make you look like your brother Esau. She says to Jacob, I'm going to make you smell like your brother Esau. She decides she's going to make food that her husband likes. So Rebecca's been married to Isaac at least 60, probably more towards 80 years at this point. So she knows what he likes. If, he, if, if Isaac knows, uh, if Esau knows how to cook, Rebecca probably is the one that taught him how to cook. So she knows if it's game that Isaac likes, she knows how to prepare it exactly how she likes it. And the text even tells us she throws in some bread and some wine as well with it. I mean, you can see the, the, the wine just dripping off Jacob's, uh, out, out, of, out of Esau's, Isaac's mouth, all these names, uh, Isaac's mouth as she's thinking about it. And here's what's interesting in our text. Even when Jacob pushes back a little bit, and so Rebecca's telling him this plan, and he, and, and he sort of says, well, well, Mom, suppose I dress up as Jacob, I come proposing my, myself as Esau, rather, and he dis and my dad discerns that it's really me and not Esau. What if he curses me and doesn't bless me? And this is what Rebecca says. She basically says, son, I've got this. Verse 13. May the curse fall on me so the blessing can fall on you. She's dead set to make this thing that God has said happen. And that's at the point, really, that we have to, to pause as the third party readers, knowing what's going to come about in this story, and, and think for a second. All this dysfunction that's, that's being brought up in this family for the sake of, of one little word, blessing. Blessing. What is blessing? Undoubtedly, uh, what we know of blessing in the 21st century doesn't match what's going on in, in our text. Our English word blessing really falls short of, of what uh, the text is bringing out in the narrative in terms of what blessing is to this patriarchal family. So we need a, a richer understanding. We need to glean into what actually the text is talking about when it talks about blessing, because this word is used 21 times in the verses that we just read, 23 times 
in the entire chapter. And so uh, in my sermon today, I want to bring out three things, three things really in the context of blessing uh, that we should uh, pay attention to in this text. Uh, and then we're going to look at a few lessons of faith and grace. And the first point is simply the allure of blessing, the allure of blessing. What is blessing? Look at verse two. He, Isaac said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So in our day and in our culture, blessing really is a, a small thing. It might be nice words that you say to someone to, to wish them well. Um, and think about what you would do to bless bless something. Sometimes a blessing to us is just the words that we say when we're sitting down to eat, right? My grandma would say, like, all right, Jeff, say the blessing. Giving thanks at a meal. Blessing could be the word kazentite, right? It's, it's like that superstitious wording that we give when someone sneezes. Uh, a blessing is sometimes as simple as that. You being nice to someone, really in the extreme case, a blessing is you saying a prayer to someone to wish them well. There's more than that going on in our text. In fact, we get the feeling that uh, a blessing for the, in these patriarchal times, it's like a will and testament. It's like something legal is being transferred when Isaac is suggesting giving up his blessings. In fact, blessing was uh, something that was given from a, a family head, someone that was important in a family when he was departing or, or more importantly, when he was about to die. Once a blessing was given, it could not be altered. It couldn't be taken back. The blessing had a sanction to it. In other words, it was a legal deed. This is an oral culture. But so when they spoke, especially when someone who was a head of a family spoke, what they were saying um, was thought to uh, come to pass either at that point or some point in the future. Technically, this blessing was the final ratification of the inheritance of the first one. So think back to last week when Nick talked about uh, uh, the, the, the birthright. The, the birthright really was the, the coming to fruition of the promise of Abraham. When God uh, appeared to Abraham and told him to go into a land that I would show you, basically God was promising to, uh, to not only uh, give Abraham an inheritance, but to ultimately bless him and all of those that would come after him. He would firstly bless him with, with descendants. His descendants would be the, as, the, as numerous as the stars or as numerous as the sand on the, the seashore. He would bless him. That He said nations would come from you. So ultimately, uh, the peoples of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. He said to Abraham that, um, that kings would come from you and I would give you a land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And so all this is passed through Isaac. And Isaac knew that all of this also would be passed through him to his firstborn. So that's Land, its leadership, it's the blessing of God mediated through the faith of the patriarch that would spill over and extend to all the people in your family, but really all the people on the earth. One commentator actually says there's more to this blessing than even that. The narrator, he says, presumes that symbolic actions has genuine and abiding power and that spoken words shape the human life. Um, you guys remember the, the nursery rhyme, Sticks and Stones? may break your bones, but words will never hurt me, right? That's a lie, right? Because sticks and stones can break our bones if you swing hard enough. But more importantly, if someone like 
uses slander or very hurtful words towards you, it hurts, doesn't it? That, that's what this is getting at. Words are powerful and effective. That's what, it, that's what it's getting at when he's talking about the idea of blessings. Words have power to them. And so this blessing has a, a spoken, oral, legal sanction to it that's going to come to pass. Here's a technical definition of blessing as it's being used in our text here. It's an actual spiritual discernment of, a per, uh, of who a person is, what God has made them, who they are becoming, who they really are. And so it's not just good willing or good wishing. It's discerning who someone is and choosing the most powerful words and gestures that you can come up with to, to, to name them, to say who they are, to declare who they will be if they already aren't um, living up to that potential. And, and here's the thing. I think if you've ever been blessed, I mean, you'll never forget it. So Larissa and I, this is 10 plus years ago, we were in a leadership meeting back in North Carolina, still uh, as part of our, uh, our sending church. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't, in, I mean, being a leader in the church was still a hope and a dream for us at that point. And so we're in this meeting and it was a prophetic presbytery of sorts where someone gifted with uh, the gift of prophecy was um, um, using that gift to encourage people in the, uh, of the leadership. And so he comes up and he points at us, and we don't know this guy from a hill of beans, right? And so he points at us, asks us to stand up. It wasn't really weird or anything. Asks us to stand up as if he knew us, and we're standing up, and he just starts talking about us and our life. And it, he talked about uh, leadership, he didn't know I was in the army. He talked about leadership, uh, potential leadership in the future. He talked about God using using us. He talked about us being a first fruits of our family, coming from family with families with lots of dysfunction, and both my wife and I being uh, a first fruits of the grace of God displayed in our family to bring healing in our family. He talked about our house um, being a, a central point of hospitality, uh, where. People would come to know God through through our our hospitality. You know, obviously we're church planners now. Oh, you can't like do that without hospitality. And um, really, this is this. I mean, I can remember myself just crying uh, at the things that he was bringing up. Um, not because he was revealing anything new to us. I mean, everything that he said really was things that we had talked about and prayed about and hoped that would happen in our life. But really what it felt like more than anything, it felt like a blessing. This guy was speaking for very, he was using very accurate, powerful words to talk about where we were and where God was going to position us in days in the future. And it just resonated with our hearts. It was a blessing. And if you've ever been blessed, you'll never forget it. Obviously, I'm talking to you about it now because I've never forget it. In fact, we wrote it down and on those days... Where church planning really gets hard, I still break that stuff out and I read and it's like, Lord, is this happening? I can't tell. Right? And you'll never forget it. I think that same thing is going on in, in a sorts here with Isaac. Isaac realized that he had this power. But here's the caveat. Unbeknownst to Isaac, he was affirming not Esau. He was affirming Jacob with very powerful words to help Jacob become the person that God in his grace would have Jacob become, not at that point, but way in the future. So that's the allure of blessing. Here's the second point, our need for blessing. We all want it. All of us 
desperately want to be blessed. And we see the importance of blessing in our text, so much so that each of the characters that we're being introduced uh, to in this, this biography of Jacob are willing to sin for it, dismissing the ultimate consequences uh, of their sinful actions. Think about Isaac, for example. Isaac knows the will of God. Even, he was, if, even if he wasn't present when the oracle of God would have come to Rebekah that said the older shall serve the younger, she definitely told him about it, and God would have revealed it to him. And so when Isaac chooses to take Esau and tell him, go hunt games, when you come back, I'm going to eat it, I'm going to satisfy my soul, and, and then I'm going to bless you, he's deliberately going against the plan of God. He's going, definitely going against the will of God for his sons. Rebecca. Rebecca definitely is in the will of God, but her sin is she's trying to make it happen in the timing and in the way that she thinks it's supposed to happen, such that it looks like she's trying to steal it. She's willing to go to the extent of getting her son to deceive her husband so that she can make what God has said happen. And of course, what, what about Jacob? Jacob is just trying to straight up steal the blessing. Jacob already knows he's got the birthright. The blessing technically is a part of the birthright, but he's going to secure this thing and go along with his mom and say, I'm, Mom, I'll do it. I don't want to get caught. I don't want my dad to curse me. But if you're saying the curse is going to come on you, all right, I'll do it. And of course, then you have Esau. Esau, at this point, knows that he's given up the thing that, was, that should have been most important to him. He's given up the birthright, which means he's given up the blessing, but his sin is that he still has hope that the thing that he shouldn't have done, but that he did, uh, his father can, can come back and make it right. So all of these persons in our text are really dismissing um, the consequences of their sin. And I think that's the struggle for, for blessing alerts us to how important blessing is is that they would be willing to sin for it and dismiss the consequences for it. And it's this theme of blessing that will become the struggle of Jacob's life. We haven't gotten there yet. When we get three weeks from now to chapter 32, Jacob is going to wrestle with God himself, with an angel of God. And he'll use these words, I won't let you go until you bless me. Jacob is all about getting blessed. And so here's the principle I think is operating in this text. Nobody can bless themselves. You can't do it. You can't bless yourself. You need someone else to bless you. And here's what Jacob does. He comes to his father Isaac, and he's desperate to be blessed. Look at verse 18. So he's all dressed up. So he went into his father, and he says, My father, and Isaac says, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. And so underneath these words, obviously, here's, here's what's going on. Uh, Jacob has uh, assumed the, the persona of his brother and he's intent to get the thing that he wants. What's that? He wants to be blessed. And so... This, this formal blessing is, is intended for the firstborn, and so he's going to uh, give the appearance that he is the firstborn to his dad. In this patriarchal family, the firstborn was the one who was to carry the future of the family. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, um, 
when the Bible is listing Old Testament, when it's listing like the, the sons of a patriarch or the sons of anybody, the, the daughters are never ones that, that seem to get this blessing. The second, third, fourth, twelfth son never are the ones that, that seem to get this kind of blessing, although they do get certain blessings. This, 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 the most powerful person, this is what we're being showed here. The most powerful person in the tribe is, is con, con, commencing to uh, segregate one that he's deeming uh, the future most powerful person and uh, not an anointment, uh, so to speak, but he's uniquely making that person the most valuable person amongst, uh, amongst his peers. And of course, this is, a, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal in Jacob receiving this blessing, a blessing that's not intended for him. But it's a huge deal in that he's assuming this kind of a risk. Think about it. He could have, uh, Jacob's, uh, Isaac's words at this point become sanctioned. And what he blesses is blessed, and what he curses is absolutely cursed. And so if, if Jacob would have been found out, then he really would have been cursed by his dad, and there would have been nothing that he could have done to undo that. And so that gives us uh, an idea of how important this was to Jacob. So much so that I would, I would dare to say he not only wanted it, he needed it. At some point, he convinced himself that he deserved it. So he's dressed up as his brother. He's playing the part, and the words just come out. I'm your firstborn. I'm Esau. Bless me. Here's what I think is familiar about this. I think this is a picture of, of every human being. This is a picture of you and me. We all want blessing, particularly we want the blessing of the firstborn. We all want to be uniquely admired. We want to be called, we want, to, we want it to be said of us that we are special. We want the most important people to say that we are most important. In a sense, your self-worth needs to come from somebody outside of yourself. And that's what's happening in our text. Jacob is is craving to be blessed, but more than that, he wants to be important, and he needs his father Isaac to say that to him. But we're no different. If you are a person that wants to be labeled as someone who's smart, you, you don't look to the dumbest person in your class and say, man, you're smart, right? What do we do? We try to find the smartest people that are around us, and we'll connive, we will do anything we can so that that smart person can also say that we're smart, and when that smart person says we're smart, we believe it. I'm smart too. But that works the same way if you want to feel attractive or if you want to feel uh, uniquely gifted as an athlete or, I mean, in any area. We look for that person that's already arrived and we look for them to speak this thing over us so that we can then have value in that same way. That's the allure of blessing. That's also why we deeply need it. Here's the third point from our text. It's the way that we try to find it. The way that we try to find blessing. Jacob, I think, is a frightening picture of how most of us try to get blessings. And here's what Jacob is doing. He's dressing up. He's dressing up being someone that he's not. He's being somebody uh, that he's not intended to be. And we do the same thing. Back up to verse 14. So Jacob went and took them, took the things that Rebekah had given him, and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, 
and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared in the hand of her son, Jacob. What is Jacob doing? He's dressing up. He's dressing up as his brother Esau. His mother comes and she makes him hairy like Esau. His mother dons Esau's clothes, his best, um, Esau's best clothes on Jacob. I would assume, although the text doesn't tell us this, Jacob probably tried to lower his voice so that he sounded like his, his manly brother. It's hard to be a, a baritone if you're a natural tenor, right? But he probably failed at that because Isaac could detect, well, you sound like Jacob. Surely you're not Esau. And so to get blessing, he couldn't be himself. Isn't that sad? Jacob could not be himself and get the blessing that he wanted from, from, from whom he wanted it from. So what did he do? He dressed it up. He dressed himself up. He couldn't get what he wanted from whom he wanted. And so he hid behind the image and persona of his favorite, favorite brother, Esau. And perhaps we're all doing this. Perhaps we are all dressing up. Which means this passage really is not just about Jacob. If you think deeply about it, this passage really is about us as well. The Bible is a mirror. And as you're reading the Bible, scholars tell us the Bible should be reading you. And if the Bible were reading us, as we're reading this passage on Jacob, then here's the question that the Bible is asking us. Who are you dressing up as? What makes you feel blessed? Is it success or fame or beauty? Or are you, are you working to get someone's trust? Are you working to get the recognition of people that are around you? And the second order of questions is, so after you've done all that to feel blessed, what are you doing to get it? How are you dressing up to get the things that you really need? And the, the, the answer to the question, the text already gives us. The thing that most of us are doing is, we're not letting people see who the real, the real you is. We're not letting people see who we really are because we've already proven that that doesn't get, that doesn't get us blessed. Instead, we dress up. We mask all of our flaws. And there are uh, a, you know, several examples of how we do that, I think, in our everyday lives. Some of us dress up in our jobs. We do it to gain status. We do it to make money. Uh, we're wanting the world to bless us, and so... Uh, we, we, we dress up and we put on this act at work. Dare I say that in some cases, we're dressing up as somebody else. Some of you have jobs that you might not even like. You've convinced yourself that to make a lot of money, I got to do this thing right here. And so you go and do that thing and you're making a lot of money. You might even have success, a lot of fame, a lot of recognition, but you're miserable because you You've dressed up as somebody that's not the real you, and you got to keep dressing up to get the thing that you have, have, you have uh, decided that you want. We dress up in our relationships. And when we do that, we're putting forward a persona that's not us at all. And we do this for popularity. We do it to get approval, to make sure that people are liking us. And, of course, there's many young people in schools that, that do this, but uh, there's probably some of us who sought approval from our parents such that we wanted to do or become something. It's like, all right, graduated from high school, and I want to go to college to do this. But your parents told you, that's not going to get you a lot of money. You can't do that. You need to become an engineer. You need to become a doctor or whatever. 
And so we, we've bent our, our will to our parents' will. We've gone to school. We've gotten the skill set. We've done the things our parents told us that we should do. And, I mean, you do it at a great cost. What's the great cost? You might be successful, but you're not who you are. And so there's this chameleon thing that has to happen. In order for me to do what society says and feel blessed, I've got to dress up and put on a thing that's not me on the inside. Dare I say that some of us even dress up for church. We show up. We serve diligently. We're, you know, we're, we do good to be good. Um, and, you know, obviously we want to do those things. I'm not saying don't do those things. We want to be good Christians. But a lot of times we play the part not because we're being changed by the message of the gospel. We, we, we play the part because we're trying to be liked and affirmed by people. We're dressed up because we want to be blessed. And I think therein is our problem. Therein is all of our problem. Dressing up doesn't really work. Actually, the text says it appears to work. Look what happens. So starting in verse 25, Jacob all dressed up. He's going to come to his dad dressed up as, as Esau. Isaac uh, kisses him. He smells him and uh, proves that he's actually the son that he wants to give the blessing to. He eats his food, and then in verses 28 and 29, convinced that this is Esau before him, he lays out very simple words, but they're powerful words that gives him the blessing that he needs to go and, and carry the, the generations forward. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. That's verse 28. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Those are simple words. But in this, this is what he's done. He's, he said, you know, it's going to be like you don't even have to work for the blessing of God. It's going to come down like dew of heaven. The earth is going to satisfy your every need. Verse 29, he says, you're going to be, there's not going to be uh, an enemy to be found around you because I'm going to make all the peoples bow down to you. They're going to serve you. Even your own family is going to serve you. And you indeed will be blessed. If anyone would even dare to try and curse you, uh, a curse is going to come back on them. That's the blessing that's being passed on to him. And really, this is a, a reenactment of the, the, the promise that's given to Abraham. And so it would appear that Jacob is being blessed here. But I would, I would tell you, you got to read on. Because from this point on, it's as if every character in this text, their life begins to fall apart. I don't, have a lot, I don't have time to read this, but I'm going to because it's interesting. Look at verse 30. You're going to have to look down at your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. Verse 30. As soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of my son's game that you may bless me. Verse 32. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Verse 34, as soon as Isaac uh, Esau heard 
the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is it not rightly, is, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. If you keep reading, I mean, this is not, I mean, this is a sad moment. This is a sad moment. It's a sad moment for Isaac. It's a, it's a really sad moment for Esau. And what's going to happen? We'll look at a little bit, a little bit of this next week. Esau is, is like gravely bitter. Bitter to the point that he is going, he wants to kill his brother. Jacob, Jacob is, is unfortunately going to be chased from the land where he's living. And for 20 years, he'll be made to live outside of the promised land that God was going to initially give him. And Jacob is going to be forced to leave to save his life. And he's going to be clanless and penniless. He can't take the inheritance with him when he goes. Basically goes with nothing but the clothes on his back. And for those of you that have read on and, and know what's going to happen, he'll spend 20 hard years with Rebecca's kin um, trying to gain all this stuff back. What about Rebecca? Well, Rebecca is going to send her favorite son away. And from what we can discern from the rest of the Genesis text, she never sees her favorite son again. And so for you mothers in the room that have a firstborn son, think of how hard that would be to have a son that you love, your firstborn, and um, to want the best for him, to strive for the best for him, only to have that son taken away from you because of what you did. That's a bitter pill to swallow for Rebecca. But that's not only what we... Try to, that's not only how we try to find blessing. I think what we see here is the consequence of sin. This is what happens as a consequence of sin, but also as, as a consequence of chasing a blessing. But perhaps the saddest verse in this whole chapter is verse 27. We've already skimmed over it one time. But I want to go back and look at that, and then we're going to look at some lessons of grace and faith. Verse 26 then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son as is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. Here's, here's what's sad about these, these verses. Firstly, Isaac is, Isaac is trying to discern, Is this really my son? And what we're seeing in Isaac's actions is his... His lack of senses are beginning to uh, uh, betray him. He had already lost his sight for whatever reason. He couldn't discern like fake fur, fake hair on his son, uh, on Jacob versus Esau's hairy red hair. 
the, he has eaten food that Rebecca made for him. That's just two, you know, two tame goats from the from the backyard versus the wild game. And so his his sense of taste has deceived him. He sort of caught on that the voice didn't sound like Jacob. But in a sense, Isaac is being deceived uh, in numeral uh, in, in numerous ways. And so he does one more test. He says, kiss me, my son. And he brings Jacob close to him so he can smell him. And he sniffs. And unfortunately, Esau's clothes on Jacob reminds him of the smell of the outdoors. And Isaac, as you know, that's that's the smell he loves. And so he smells it. He closes his eyes. And what comes out of his mouth? The blessing of God to the person that he did not want it. On the other side is what you got. You got Jacob dressed up as Esau. And can you imagine? Jacob sees a look on his face that would have been uh, a very pleasing face. A, a father who, who really wants to bless the, the son that he favored. And then he hears the words that, that he's always wanted to hear. Words that prove to him that his father loves him and that he really is wanting to give the blessing to him. But guess what? He's getting a blessing. He's getting very powerful words that actually aren't not meant for him. They're meant for his brother. How hard would that have been? He craved a blessing and he's putting on a persona and the blessing was not meant for him. And so here's the moral of this story here. Dressing up doesn't work. Can you see it? Dressing up does not work. It actually doesn't work for Jacob and it actually does not work for us either. Dressing up gets you tired. It makes you feel shallow. And if people that are around you like you for the fake you that dresses up, at some point, um, it's not only going to feel shallow, it's going to hurt. I mean, who wants to be liked for the fake you? And so here's the conundrum, I think. We deeply want blessing, but we deeply want to be blessed, not as the fake us, but as the true us. And so three lessons of faith and grace and I'll be done. Here's the first one, the anatomy of sin. We don't sin out of ignorance nor by accident. We sin by commission and omission. We deliberately do things that we shouldn't, and we, when we, we selectively don't do things that we should. Ever since Adam and Eve on the planet, we are a rebellious people. And it's almost like what we see in Isaac's life here. Every time we sin, it's as if we're telling God, all right, Lord, I know what you said, but I don't want to do what you told me to do. I would rather rule over myself. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in your life and mine every time that we sin. Here's another thing about the anatomy of sin. We push the thoughts of the consequences of our sin to the side. And I think we can see that with every character in our, in our text. We can see the consequences of sin with Isaac. We can see them with Rebecca, and we will see them in the life of Jacob in the future chapters. Uh, but here's what I think this ultimately points to. It speaks to character. And so you've all, you've all heard this phrase before. Character is who you are in the dark. Character is who you are when no one is listening. And so if the Bible is reading us as we're reading it, here's the, here's the question the Bible is asking of us. Who are we when no one is looking? If we don't have to sin, but there's something in us that pushes us to sin, 
then that speaks to our character. And we are no less um, sinful than the deceitful person himself, Jacob. Here's a second lesson of faith and grace. Playing favorites. There's a lot of lessons from families in our text. Uh, this one is a, uh, particular to, to parenting. I think it's uh, fair to say uh, we could easily come away with the moral that being better parents would solve all of this. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca were not necessarily bad parents, but they could have done a few things better, right? Um, and so being better parents is probably a truth that we should hold on to. Um, parents, I think this is true. We got the ability to screw our kids up. Y'all know that, right? You have the ability to screw your kids up. So at a minimum, don't play favorites. If you're going to bless one of your kids, bless them all and bless them equitably. Uh, I think if you're a parent here, you got to know your kids well enough to discern their particular gifting, know the capacities and know their strengths, know their aptitude, shower them with affirmation and confirm those things that they are particularly good in, but definitely do not play favorites. But that's the moral lesson. But beyond that, let me let me caution you parents. Uh, morality is not the solution. Why? Because some of you had good parenting. You had good parents. You were brought up in good backgrounds. And I mean, you're no different than Jacob. You've been dressing up all your life, conniving and perhaps even trying to deceive. So the world, so people would bless you. I think ours is a not just a moral problem. We have a spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem that we all have is hinted at in verse 33. Here's what, here's what Isaac says. He says this to, to Esau, but he's orienting it at Jacob. He says these words, and I have blessed him. I've blessed Jacob. And yes, he shall be blessed. There's two things here. I think we see the grace of God. God works through bad people, bad, bad things, and bad circumstances to bring about his grace to those who are recipients of it. God works through bad things, bad people, and bad circumstances to bring about his grace to those who are recipients of it. And he does this for unworthy people. Jacob was an unworthy person. We've said this a couple times in this three-week series so far. In fact, we said it every week, and we've said it every week uh, you know, that we'll go. If we had to choose between Esau and Jacob, most of us would choose Esau. We would. Not just because of how they look, but because of the, the character of their hearts as we're being told about them. There really is nothing that our text gives us that's likable about Jacob at this point. There's no chapter that we'll read about his life that will get good examples of who he is from, from what he does or even what he says. Jacob is probably one of the weirdest persons for God to give us in the Bible to set an example for. I mean, I, think about that. And so the moral of the story is not if you if you have a great family, God is going to work in them to make great things happen. And if you have bad families, then things things are going to go wrong and God won't bless you because that's not what happened. That's not what's happening in this text. God is choosing the person that's deliberately being bad. And he's he's going to favor him. So being good or bad is really not the case here. God works um, he works his grace, how he chooses to work his grace. Here's the moral. God brings his scandalous, intervening grace into the lives of people who don't seek it. 
don't deserve it, continue to resist it, and don't even appreciate it after they've been saved by it. And that describes you and me. That describes us. And God does this over and over again in Jacob's life, we'll see. But he also does it over and over again in our life. And so here's the point. The first thing that Isaac realizes is that when God works, he works sheerly through grace. Here's the second thing. When Isaac says, yes, and he shall be blessed, here's what he's saying. He's not only saying God is going to bless Jacob, because he is. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, uncle. He's like, Lord, all right, so I get it. I'm going to surrender to your plan for my son's life the way that you're deciding that it's going to happen. And that's a hard thing for, for Isaac to do at this point. One commentator goes on to say this. He says, Isaac realizes he's been fighting against God, and he accepts the fact that the prophecy Rebecca got was true. He wants to go, Isaac wants to go the world's way. He wants to go his own way. He wants his son to, the son of his choosing, to be the inheritor of of the inheritance. He wants the man's man to get the inheritance, not the mama's boy. And so at this point, he's been been resisting God and God's approach of grace. And, And with the words that he's saying here, he decides to rest in the grace of God. And he cries, uncle. He surrenders to the resistance that he's been putting up to God. And here's the third lesson of grace. And I'll finish with this. It's that the Bible tells us about another Jacob. Now, Jacob will use uh, these words. And he uses them not, uh, not verbatim. But basically, in verse 18 and 24, as he's portraying himself as Esau, he says this a couple times. He says this to his father Isaac. I am he. I am your firstborn. He was setting a persona that he was the firstborn. But here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that ultimately that position has already been granted to to someone before before the world began. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The Bible tells us he's the only begotten son from the Father. The Bible also tells us he's the firstborn from the dead, which means that Jesus lived through all eternity in a state of of firstbornness. He has the blessing of God before he even condescended into our world. And here's the incredible thing about the God that we serve, about Jesus, is that on the cross, Jesus gives up this blessing of the firstborn for your sake and for mine. And and the Apostle Paul tells us why. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in the cur- so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What does Jesus do for us on the cross? He dresses up. He puts on clothes that aren't his. He wears our skin. He walks our road. He drinks our drink, eats our food, completely condescending himself from who he was in eternity, and he dresses up so that we could go free because of his work on the cross. And not only that, he covers us with his righteousness so that not only is he dressed up in our wickedy rags, but he dresses us up in, in the perfection of heaven. And so it turns out that Rebecca actually didn't know what, she's, what she was talking about. Back up in verse 13, when Rebecca says these words, when she says to her, to her son, Jacob, son, trust me, 
If your father finds you out, let the curse fall on me so that you can receive the blessing of God. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is following, he's following through on the promise that Rebecca made. He took the curse on himself that all of us deserve when we're dressing up. And that, I think that's the way of salvation. That's the plan of salvation for us. Not that we have to dress up before God and prove to him that we're good people so that God will bless us. But that Jesus has already dressed up in our place so that you don't have to. And I would tell you, that's good news. It's good news because God is saying this to us. You can be you. You can dress as you. And really the only place that you can dress in the clothes and the skin that God would have you dress in, but also be blessed, is when you view it through the cross. And that's God's picture of grace for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this picture of that we have of, of, of Jacob trying to work through a blessing that, that you wanted to give him, but he thought he had to dress up and connive and deceive to get it. Lord, the truth is many of us do the same thing. We go through life. We're trying to be people who on the inside we're not. We're trying to seek approval. Oftentimes we're trying to just be liked. We're trying to have the world call out to us and tell us that we're blessed. So Lord, help us uh, even today to see all those ways that, that we're crying out, trying to seek a blessing. Show us intuitively those ways that we're trying to make it happen. God, I pray that you reprove us as you will eventually reprove Jacob wrestling with him and, and bringing to him to his senses. But then, God, I pray that you would bless us, bless us through the cross, bless us through the acknowledgement that Jesus has already dressed up in our place for our sins so that we don't have to. He's clothed us in his righteousness, given us the grace of God, even when we're undeserving. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.